Uh, Steve Spring is well. I don't think it's technically here. I think I think we still got like the full. I don't know when does spring start. March, right? Like March twenty first. Okay, then we've got a ways to go for like official spring. But yep. the real official spring start for me is spring training, uh, and that's like starting this week slash start for some teams started last week. So we've got a baseball guest um, and it is one that is very passionate about baseball. And I'm very excited. Uh, first, I'm going to give you the name of the podcast that he's going to be interviewed on. That's called stuff. Summer says with Steve and our guest is Sweeney Murdy, who works for MLB um, proper essentially. And, and, and is a key contributor in their social media department and, um, transitioned into that role last season after spending uh, essentially like almost 25 years covering the Yankees for WFAN um, really signed on and worked for WFAN in the early era, um, you know, back when it, it really boomed. Um, so we, we touch on the history of, of that. We touch on, you know, what it's like covering the Yankees and, and kind of working in the New York media market. Um, and then we also talk some Penn State because he's a very proud Penn Stater as well. So uh, thank you to Sweeney for joining us. Take a listen to, to that. And we'll be back after this. We are joined. Uh, spring is spring is essentially here. It's not necessarily fully here, but I, I at least I know pitchers and catchers are starting to report this week and later into next week. And we are joined by a baseball guest, Sweeney Murdy of uh, the MLB. He's a senior contributor uh, at the MLB and has really been around baseball 20 almost 25 years um and has worked at the at wfan sweeney how are you i'm wonderful darian how are you i'm great i'm great um let's let's dive right in because i i've got a lot of baseball related slash new york media related questions okay. i think will be will be a good way let's to go. do it um but for those who maybe don't know you could you walk us through kind of your career journey um you know, primarily with, with WFAN and then, you know, over into the MLB world. Yeah, well, I'm a uh, I'm a Pennsylvania kid, born and raised, you know, in the Harrisburg area, Middletown, Pennsylvania. Um, Middletown has a student radio station that you can join as early as seventh grade, which I did. Oh, wow. It's still operational and running and uh, pretty much a full service radio station. Play music during the day, uh, broadcast different events, uh, including sports, which is how I kind of got started. And uh, seventh, eighth grade, I started uh, to really focus in on broadcasting sports, high school football and basketball at WMSS in Middletown. And uh, and that eventually led me up to Penn State, where I majored in communications. Um, junior year, after my junior year, I got an internship at WFAN Sports Radio in New York. It, had, it was about four years old at the time. I knew very little about it, actually, except that it was just all sports. Um, but radio and sports is exactly what I wanted to do. Uh, and so I was fortunate to get that internship. It kickstarted everything good in my life after that too. Um, I got offered a job back about a year after I graduated. So uh, early in 1993, March of 1993, I moved to New York um, and started a job as the overnight producer at WFAM. Worked my way up the ranks through different things. And eight years later, I started covering the New York Yankees. And I did that job for 22 years for WFAN. Uh, a year ago, I started at Major League Baseball, um, moving over to kind of an editorial role uh, in their social media department. And it also allows me to contribute in other ways. Uh, I've written a few articles for MLB.com, continue to make appearances in MLB Network as, um, uh, you know, as warrants for different things. And um, 
So I am, I used to joke, Darian, that, you know, people would call me a baseball guy. I said, no, I'm a radio guy because if my radio station decided tomorrow that they wanted to play country music instead of sports, well, I'd be in country music. Um, well, now I'm, I'm working for baseball. I'm working for Major League Baseball. Uh, so uh, I guess I'm a baseball guy after all. All of a sudden, I'll be starting my second season there um, when opening day rolls around, March 28th. It'll be here before you know it. Yeah, no, that's that's a good point. Um, with with WFAN, I mean, that is that is the flagship sports radio station. I feel like really not just like in New York, but really in the country, it, you know, and obviously you you signed on relatively early there. What were those early days like of kind of figuring out what what WFAN was going to be? And, and what was that process like for you um, in your career? Yeah, it w well, it was great is that, you know, you know, back then, this is all before we had internet and smartphones and, you know, you had to turn on the radio to get news instantly. And that's what we were at WFA. And we were the place everybody turned to to find out what was happening right away. This is where you learned about the news, not scrolling on your phone. Uh, you turn on the radio to hear what was going on. Then you turned out to find out what people were saying about it. It was it was a, a really an immersive listening experience for for news and information and opinions and everything. Um, and it still can be, it's just that we consume things uh, a lot differently now. Um, so I, I mean, I just, you know, I told you, I, I started to kind of fall in love with radio early on in my life and, um, that's what led me down the road. Sports radio didn't really exist until WFAN started. Sports radio used to be a two hour call-in show or a one hour call-in show at night after everything else uh, was on the radio station. And at night, maybe six or seven o'clock at night, they'd have a one or two hour call-in show uh, leading into the nighttime programming, a game broadcast or some other, or back to music programming or something else. WFAN in 1987, they you know took the big jump and said, 24 hours, we're gonna do sports. And um, it was experimental. It was hard in the beginning. By the time I jumped on board, they had already become very successful. Uh, Imus in the Morning was a uh, was a popular uh, morning show that ended up being syndicated all over the country. And that's the one show that kind of branched out from sports. Uh, it wasn't wasn't uh, really about sports. Uh, and Mike and the Mad Dog became. Uh, you know, if you've seen, if you don't know who they are, there's a, there's a 30 for 30 on ESPN that, that tells you basically their story and, and kind of the story of the radio station and and basically the story of sports radio, uh, both in New York and around the country and, and how it grew. Mike and the Mad Dog were wildly popular by the time I got there in the summer of 1991. Um, I came back in the spring of 1993 and, you know, it was just great to be a part of something that big. And something that felt that important because it wasn't just the fans that were involved and listening. You know, the people who were in sports, the managers, the general managers, the athletes themselves, all knew what was happening on WFAN, what people were saying about them. It took on a new meaning. You know, it used to be athletes would pick up the paper to find out what people were saying about them. And it was really just what was written about them. Now you turn on the radio, you hear the news, but you also hear all the fans calling in and telling you either how great you are or how terrible you are. And uh, it was a new experience, I think, for the athlete and a transition period. And what we, you know, now an athlete can scroll on his phone and see what people are saying about him. You know, there's still a little bit of anonymity to that. 
you hear somebody's name and where they're calling from and their voice telling you that you stink or that you know, you lost the game last night, it's a uh, it's a little bit of a different. It, it hits differently, and it I think it revved up a lot of things about the pressure of New York. It was no longer just about the power of the pen and the power of the back page of the New York City tabloids. Uh, there were real voices uh, coming out of the air and uh, and telling you. Uh, what they thought about you know your performance, and um, it was uh, it, it definitely ended up being impactful around the country because sports radio stations popped up all over the country after that, um, and everything you basically uh, get now, whether it's all your sports podcasts or your you know if you're watching some of the like the Get Up and all those shows on ESPN things like that, um, you know Stephen A, all those things are are all just offshoots of of you know where WFAN took sports and sports media in the late 80s and early 90s you hit it on it there briefly and that was one of the things i wanted to bring up with you was the power of new york and the new york media market um just how intense is it for somebody that works in that media market is it intense as intense as kind of we the consumer are led to believe well there's pressure to do your job and to to you know because there's a lot of interest in who you're talking about right like i covered the new york yankees for over 20 years you know there are a lot of yankee fans and it's a and they're a big story not just in new york but around the country as well uh your professional sports teams have a lot of interest from a lot of fans in the area and new york is obviously densely populated and uh, you know a, a large group of people who have interest in in what those sports teams are doing so there's pressure to to perform even for the media right you got you got to bring the stories you got to bring the opinions you've got to um uh bring it all with accuracy um uh, and and make it interesting for people to hear um and you also have to be accountable for it because in a position like i had where i was a reporter on scene um with the team specifically i would go on the radio and talk about the yankees and then i would be in the clubhouse that afternoon uh or the next afternoon or whatever it would be and where the players, the manager, anybody who wanted to take issue with anything I said would be able to confront me about it if they wished. Um, you know, fortunately, my style, I think, was always pretty straight down the middle. I stayed pretty factual with everything. I didn't dive too much into the opinion that strayed to, like, I can tell you, this guy was two for his last 30, um, which is accurate. I didn't tell you he stinks and should be sent to the minors, which is an opinion and might, you know, um, you know, my job was to tell you if they were going to send him to the minors, not that I thought if I thought they should or things like that nature. So uh, my job was a little bit different that way. Uh, it's, you know, it wasn't cutthroat. Some of my best friends uh, in the world are people that I worked alongside that worked for different uh, outlets that work for different newspapers or TV stations or radio stations or whatever the case may be, or, you know, as, as the years went on different online, online sites. Um, uh, so the people that covered the Yankees for different outlets were my competition in my job, but it was also very, you know, very friendly in nature when you're sharing so much time together, because you're in the press box, you're in the clubhouses, you're in, you're, you're in the same airports when you're traveling from city to city, you're in the same hotels and going to restaurants, uh, you know, before games or after games or something like that. Um, so um, you, you build relationships and friendships that way too. But when you're trying to do the job, you're trying to do it the best you can. And you know, you're, it's, you know, it's like anything else. It does get competitive that way. 
you particularly kind of started covering the, the Yankees there, what, 2001. And that is, that was a world series run year. And I think that kind of that core group of Jeter and, you know, Jorge and, and kind of that group, did you realize how special you were, what you were covering was at the time or, or did, have you now kind of reflected on that more? Well, um, probably both. I mean, I'm a, listen, I'm a baseball fan. Have, have been since I was a kid. I, I was born in 1970. I grew up, you know, uh, started, really started following baseball late seventies, early eighties is when my fandom really, you know, really started to grow. Uh, as a fan of the sport, I love baseball history as well. So when you think about all the great Yankee dynasties, even though I grew up in Pennsylvania and grew up a Phillies fan, I knew all about Babe Ruth and Mickey Mantle and Yogi Berra and Joe DiMaggio and and then you know the seventies with Reggie Jackson and Thurman Munson and all those teams. Uh, knew all about them and appreciated the history of it. I loved the history of of baseball and the New York Yankees and what that meant. Um, I moved to New York in 1993 and was working at WFAM behind the scenes when they started to win championships. 96, 98, 99, 2000. My first year covering the team on the beat is 2001. As you mentioned, they went back to the World Series that season, lost in Game 7 in Arizona to the Diamondbacks. Uh, so that ended the, the the run of championships for the Yankees right there. Uh, but they were still very good and special. And the players you talked about, Derek Jeter, Jorge Posada, Mariano Rivera, Andy Pettit, Bernie Williams, Tino Martinez, Paul O'Neill, you know, keep going. And then they, you know, they they kept stacking the deck with Jason Giambi and Alex Rodriguez and Alfonso Soriano and Gary Sheffield and Hideki Matsui. And it just keeps going on, right? They were, they were uh, built to win and compete every single year. Uh, that was special. You knew it then. You know it now, years later, when you see where all these players and teams stack up historically. And the thing that I've really grown to love about the time that I spent doing this is that, you know, as a kid who grew up loving baseball and the history of it, and reading about the great players of the game in books and watching TV shows about them and all those things. There are now players in the hall of fame that I know personally, because I, I saw them up close and watched them perform up close. And that's the part that's really special when you think back, because, you know, if you're a sports fan, you love to watch the greatness on the field. I got to, you know, see how the sausage was made. You know, I got to see where the greatness came from. And the thing that I learned to appreciate about it was not just that Derek Jeter and Mariano Rivera were all-time great players, but I watched how they prepared to be great players. And it wasn't about the idea of I'm going to be a great player and go to the Hall of Fame. It was about, I have a job to do today. Today's game is the most important game. This pitch, this at bat, all of it was so hyper-focused. And those two specifically were able to put failure behind them very quickly. And you say, what failure? They're all-time greats. Well, I mean, listen, Derek Jeter hit 300, right? Which means he made an out seven times out of 10. Um, and they didn't win the World Series every year, even though it felt like it for a little bit of time. Mariano Rivera, blue saves. Uh, he bounced back from them quickly. Uh, 2001, I mentioned the World Series, right? Putting that stuff behind you, you can go through, if you're a fan of sports, you can go through lots of teams that didn't win and watch where those players, you know, how it affected them and maybe where it where it took them after that. Did they not get back to a championship? Did their careers take a turn? I saw some of the greatest players in the history of baseball 
not come up big, you know, strike out, lose a game, do whatever it was, make an error. And then the next day they know I have a game today. Today's the day I can, you know, and and to me, like now as I've gotten older in my life and think about, you know, I'm in my fifties now. And I think about the idea of what a life lesson for people, right? Like these guys knew that, okay, I, I messed up today. I lost today, whatever it is. Guess what? Tomorrow's another day. I have a game tomorrow. I have a game today, which is why today's a bad. I mean, think anything in our lives, Darian, honestly, if you have a bad day. Okay. You can linger on it, but there's, there's more ahead of you. You have other things to do. There's another day at work. There's another day with your family. There's another day, whatever it's going to be. You have all these things in front of you. And those are the things that I learned to, that, that I knew it as I was watching it. I learned to appreciate it more as I've gotten older. Um, and the idea that I didn't just watch greatness. I watched how greatness came out, how it was made and how, you know, how they, uh, focused on what they were doing and how it drove them. For you personally, one of the, and we had Rob Beer Temple who covered the Pirates on for for quite a while. I, I asked him a similar question. I think with any other sport, um, you know, you get a couple of days here and there off and can kind of go explore or do whatever when you're covering the teams. Baseball, it is from February all the way till October, pretty much every day. For you, what keeps you kind of mentally enjoying that grind and kind of at it after, you know, all these years. I just love watching the game, you know, and I love watching things that, you know, and even anymore, it's not about rooting for a team. Like, you know, I mean, objectively you had to not root for somebody. Right. So like, it, but it was more interesting when the Yankees won. So you kind of root for that because you want the job to be interesting. Um, but you're not sitting there saying, yeah, they hit a home run, you know, not like that. Um, I grew up as a Phillies fan and I've still, I've kind of come back around to them because now I get to kind of watch them a little bit more. I had, you know, I spent 22 years watching the Yankees every day. So my interest level in watching another team or trying to root for them really wasn't there. I was focused on doing my job. Um, but it was, you know, it's kind of fun to go back and just kind of now what I enjoy, I like watching great players perform. And, and I like seeing, you know, I just like seeing greatness on the field. So when I'm watching a baseball game now, like I'll watch it to say, to, to, to have something that makes me say, wow, how cool was that? That I just got to see that or how much fun is it? And, and, and compare it to, because baseball is layered in history, compare it to things that you saw in the past or other famous names and historical context of that. Um, I just, I, I love everything about that. Um, and you know, the pace of the game, the rhythm of the game, the rhythm of a season. I always love when a season begins. I always love when it ends. You mentioned the grind February, you know, February has always used to be great. Spring training's here. Let's go, let's get started. But at the end of October, I'm ready to kind of, you know, chill out and relax for a little bit. Um, and, uh, and wait, for, you know, it's like, it's just like anything else. And the fact that, you know, there's, there's a beginning and an ending to it, I think is, is fabulous. Um, you know, it's funny, like, uh, you know, my wife's a teacher and I know a lot of teachers uh, and, you know, I have young kids like, you know, they don't they don't love the start of the school year. They love the end of the school year, you know, all of them. Right. Uh, and most people aren't any different, but I love the beginning of a baseball season. I love the end of a baseball season and uh, and everything in between is kind of cool. That's, that's great. That's great. Um, you know, how has the transition into your new role, you know, gone from kind of shifting from not necessarily a beat reporter, but essentially a beat reporter into kind of a, a more broad 
rider role. How's that gone for you? Yeah. I mean, I covered a beat for 22 years and I was, I was on the air every day and now I'm not, so I'm not out front anymore. Um, you know, it was, it was a hard transition. It was, a you know, it, it's been a year. So, um, uh, basically I was, I was, um, moving to out of the daily radio and seeing what was available to me. And, uh, because I've worked covering baseball, I got to know a lot of people, uh, in baseball and at the league office. And there was a role opening up. There was some transition in the social media department at major league baseball. Um, and, uh, you know, it was the, the editorial leadership, uh, side of it is, is pretty much where this, this job was opening up and it, it became a really interesting opportunity to me. And, I work with a lot of talented people and a lot of people who are, you know, half my age, but very talented at what they do in terms of creating social media posts, whether it's video editing or working on specific graphics uh, or both or putting things together. Um, really uh, very creative people. I'm kind of past that in what I do. You know, I used to, you know, when I used to do stuff in radio, I, you know, I could take a razor blade and cut audio tape. Um, but that's really, uh, you know, obviously that's all outdated, but, um, my role with them isn't to create and get my hands dirty. It's kind of oversee and say, and, uh, and look at the project and say, Hey, let's try this. Let's try that. Let's, uh, let's focus on this particular statistic or this particular player, um, and make sure everything looks good. Right. You know, and making sure creatively it looks good, making sure stylistically it looks good and working on storylines, making sure we're, we're being accurate. We're being fair. Uh, and everything looks good when it comes out. One of the cool things I'm working on right now is, again, because of my my love for the history of the game, I've gotten to um, uh, look at the boat. Well, last fall, uh, Hispanic Heritage Month, and for February, Black History Month in baseball, and all the social media posts that go out on you know uh, MLB's Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, uh, all the posts that go out on there that deal with those specifically, I've had a hand in creating and, and shaping the, you know, uh, everything that, that comes out about it, making sure everything's accurate um, and making sure we're hitting the right notes and, and the right storylines. And, and that's, you know, I, I think one of the things I really enjoy about doing this part is that I told you that when I was a kid, I, I learned about baseball history, right? I learned that by watching shows and reading books and magazines. Well, you know, nobody's really reading books and magazines about baseball history anymore. So like, how do you, how do you fix that? Right? Well, they're carrying a phone, right? And you're scrolling social media. We can make that baseball history, make that where you learn about it. And that's kind of one of the things that I've, I've really wanted to do over the course of this last year. And more so as I start my second year here is, is teach people the history of the game. And understanding also that history of the game means something different to different people. Like if you're, if you're 15 years old, you know, the, the day that you and I are taping this, it, it's funny because it popped up. It's 10 years ago to the day that Derek Jeter announced it was going to be his last season. So like the 2014 season was, it was his last. Well, if you're a 15 year old Yankee fan, what possible memories do you really have of Derek Jeter playing baseball? Right? Like very, not many, even as a 20 year old, you know, his greatest years are kind of in, you know, in your young childhood where maybe you don't really remember a whole lot about it. So the idea of, of taking something from 10 years ago 
uh, five years ago, 10 years ago, 15 years ago that, you know, to me, it doesn't feel like that long ago because I lived through it. It's history to a 15-year-old, a 20-year-old. And if you are the people who are, you know, consuming social media and consuming MLB social media, I think, you know, we have a responsibility and to, to tell the history of the game, not just tell you how great today's game is, which it is, and sell the players today and make you interested in that. But also tell you that, you know, baseball is, has a rich history and it's something that you should learn because it's all layered in context of the game. And so that's one of the things that I've really taken interest in, um, in my, in my, you know, almost 12 months there and you know, starting my second year at MLB. We hear this idea, and I think this will lend well with what you're getting at there, but we, we hear this idea of, particularly with younger generations, even my generation, that baseball is dying or it's it's stale, it's getting old. How do you keep it alive, I think, with your new position? And, and what are what types of things besides history are you doing to kind of help the game continue to grow? The vice president in my department, um, who just started last season, um, if he put it beautifully, he said, like, the I, our job uh, in running MLB social media is to make fans fall in love with baseball. Uh, and how do you do that? Well, you show them all the great things about it, you know. And I think and last year was terrific because last season, I know there was some pushback because anytime you introduce change in anything, you know, you, you get a lot of, oh, why are they changing this? Um, from an older generation, mostly. Um Baseball introduced some some rule changes last year that really had an impact and a good one on on the game and how it's played, how it looks. Um, it's all about pace, you know, and and I, I know there was some pushback initially um, from older fans. But if you looked at what impact it had on the product on the field last season. It really was tremendous. Uh, the game just moved better. And there were, you know, you're allowing the athletes to to just have a little bit more influence in the game and with with their skill. Um, so what's what's my role? What's our role? It's just to show you how how great the game is, you know, and unfortunately, I think there's a tendency to try to compare it with football or basketball, you know. It's just not that style anymore. You know, you, you kind of have to have a little patience for it. You know, I can watch a um, an NBA game, right? If if I'm watching a Warriors game and it takes Steph Curry until the fourth quarter to score one basket, something's really wrong, right? Like it, it that's not that, that's not how that game is played. But if I want to watch, you know, Mike Trout or Shohei Otani or you know any of the great players. I might have to wait till the seventh inning to, to see something really, really great happen, but that's okay. Like the game has a rhythm to it. And I think generations of fans have learned to love that style and pace. You can go about different things, have it on the background and, and still watch intensely at different times. Um, I just think that that's kind of what we do is just show you how great these players are and what they can do. And it just, it just has a different rhythm and feel to it than it does that does the NFL. It's every day, you know, it's not like your Sunday afternoon where you can sit and watch or, you know, Penn state fans are Saturday afternoon where we sit and watch. Um, it's every day and every night and the action isn't as fast and furious, but it's, it tells a story all season long. It tells a story and it's really 
uh, I, again, I guess our job to make the fan fall in love with baseball is to show you uh, the connections you make with generations of fans, uh, the connections players can make with fans, uh, and just kind of the little beautiful aspects of the game that are that are fun to watch and and uh, and share with your family and friends. That's Sweeney, awesome. You no, mentioned that's... the Sweeney, you mentioned the um, goals with Black History Month and, and other seemingly longer term endeavors and, and engaging fans in the current role. I'm curious how competition and success for you change going from a beat to going to a role like this. Um, yeah, I don't think it's Steve, it's hard to say. Um, I guess the idea was always that, um, you know, I did have a certain level of competition. Like I was trying to make people listen to me or, or make sure that they, they knew what I had to say was, you know, I, you kind of had to bring it on the radio, make sure I mean, you, you want people to listen every day because there's something and you kind of had to catch them with something. I guess this is a more longer term thing where I'm I'm just out here trying to to get you to to appreciate what the game is and who the who the performers are. And I just think it's important to learn that you know you could be a fan of of the Seattle Mariners, okay? Um, you might know who Ken Griffey Jr. is, but have you seen who he really is? You know, do you know who Edgar Martinez is and, and how great he was? Um, you know, you're a Cardinals fan. You know, Albert Pujols, great. But how about Stan Musial and Bob Gibson and, you know, uh, the 80s, Ozzy Smith? There are different ways to just go about this and and make sure that the history of the game stays alive. It's, I guess it, what you're competing for now is people's attention more than anything else. Um, and it's, it's just really about making sure that people know that our, our game is still as great as it was. I think, I think we tend to lose sight of that because as you get older, there's a tendency to think that the game's not as, not as good or, or not as much fun or, or you cared about it more. Well, listen, when I was 10, what else did I really have to worry about besides watching sports on TV? Right. I mean, nothing else. I had I didn't have bills to pay. I didn't have you know, you know, uh, any errands to run or things to do. My errands were going to the store to buy more baseball cards. That <laughs> my errands when I was ten years old. Um, so I, I think that we tend to think that things aren't as much fun or were more fun. I you know our priorities change. You know, I don't have all day on a Saturday or Sunday to sit in front of the TV and watch football. You know, so, you know, I, I, the football is still fun to watch. It's just that I don't have the ability to, you know, park my butt on the couch for eight hours a day, both Saturday and Sunday. So um, I, I think it's just reminding everybody that, you know, the, the games are still fun. The athletes are still great. And if you just let yourself watch what they're doing and enjoy it a little bit, uh, I think you can see that. Thanks. Sweeney, I see your Cappy jersey back there. Um, so uh, we like to wrap up with some Penn State related questions because I know you are a very proud Penn Stater. Um, so let's, let's, uh, relatively rapid fire, but we allow for explanations. So right. uh, your favorite go to creamery ice cream flavor? Um, I think alumni swirl. You know, I, I tend to go for that. Uh, listen, nothing beats good vanilla ice cream, really. And I mean, yeah, I mean, 
good vanilla ice cream is the thing that I used to love was that when I was a student, it was a dollar for a cone. Like it was really the best bargain on the entire planet. Just, and, and you didn't, you know, you didn't need change. All you needed was a dollar. You didn't need change or anything like anything else. It, it was, it was pretty special. Um, that's yeah. So uh, I think you're the first person to answer with alumni swirl. So we'll, we'll okay. add that to the tally. Um, all right. You bittersweet are the, mint too is actually it's really hard to beat that. But the, a know. lot of people say bittersweet mint. That's a that's a a rogue popular flavor. I think would be a, a best way to hear it, put that one. Um, you are the czar of Penn State sports for one day. What what change are you making? What change am I making? Oh wow. Um, boy, that's a, I, I hadn't really thought of that. Um, I guess as much as it pains me to say it, probably have to update Beaver Stadium in some form or fashion, right? Like there's, it's, I mean, when, when I, we, they've made what, two additions since I was a student there, um, to the end zones and up the, you know, put it up over a hundred thousand. Um, I don't know. I, I think the, ex, the, ex, listen, the, nothing beats the experience, right? We all love just going home and, and going there. But um, I think if you think about like just stadium stadiums, what they, what they are all about now and uh, conveniences and things like that, I, th I think you still want to build the stadium that is built for people to sit and watch the game. Right. But you, you know, now that I'm coming to the game with, you know, I brought my kids to their first game two years ago. You got to think a little bit differently, right? It's not just about, you know, 20 something year old me as an alum sitting in the seats and, you know, going to get a drink and a hot dog and watching the game for three hours. You have a little bit more comfort in mind. So I think I'd probably want to make some serious uh, upgrades, updates to the stadium there we go that's good um all right you are back in town for one night and one night only what bar are you walking into gaff gaff <laughs> that, that's that's that is the popular answer among your generation i, I yeah, feel like so yeah uh, i'm not sure if anything else is still although let's the, here's the other thing like i like i'm i don't i don't I'm 54 years. I'm almost 54 years old. Wait, what year is this? Yeah, I'm, I'll be 54 this year. I, I don't wait in lines and I don't pay cover charges unless there's a band I want to see. Right. I'm not paying you just to walk in the door. So um, I might have to amend the choices based on how long the line is at the gaff. Um, I'll I'll figure it out. But yeah, that's, that's the starting spot. That's great. All Did right. You so your this... generation there with that? Did you, you, you is that what you said? Yeah. You, were, yeah, you, you, you guys are the same place. generation. Yeah. I know. It just sounded yeah. kind of dismissive the way you said it. That's all. I, that's, I, I'm just saying. I'm just okay. Wait, what's your yours, generation. Darian? Darian, what's, the, what's your the first? I, 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 the first. I would, I would like to be buried in the first. I, you know, <laughs> some, I, I didn't love the first because it was just like, you know, I, my sneakers would smell. Oh, yeah. It's, a month, still do. Right? you're just sitting yeah, in a, sitting in two inches of beer, standing in two inches of beer every time you walk into that place. Yeah, you still you still are you still are. Um, all right, Sweeney, uh, this is your moment to plug and 
and shout out whatever you want, um, you know, obviously on your Twitter handles and social handles, but also I know you, you're working with MLB, um, anything you're excited that you're working on right now. Yeah, I just listen, just follow MLB on all your platforms uh, and MLB vault is one of our side accounts, which that is where we kind of lean into some of the more historical stuff. Uh, but um, we're doing a lot of fun things and we got a great team over there. Um, it was, it's, it was a new experience for me jumping in over there last year and working with a completely different group of people. Um, but it's, it's been a lot of fun. Uh, I enjoy the people I work with, right. It's, you know, people ask me a lot, like what it's, what it was like, you know, being away from, from the radio and from the, from the Yankees and everything else last year it was, it was, it was different. It was difficult. Like I, you know, I don't like change. I don't think most of us do, but um, I ended up working with a really good group of people and I don't think you can ask for anything better than that when that when when that's what you're looking for. So um, I, I appreciated that. I appreciated the good landing spot and uh, and what was a kind of a difficult transition. And uh, I I have loved baseball since I was a kid. So now that I get to work for baseball, it's um, officially as opposed to just you know kind of uh, following it. Um, it's it's really cool. So follow MLB on on Instagram on Twitter on Facebook, on YouTube, uh, on threads, on TikTok, everywhere you want to go, right? Um, and MLB Vault is on uh, Twitter and Instagram. So follow there and uh, see what kind of fun stuff we come up with. All right. Well, thank you for joining us, Sweeney. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Um, Steve, I, I think the thing that stood out to me is how passionate he is about baseball and how passionate he is about telling the story of baseball. And I think that is why kind of as we got into a little bit there in the interview, but I think that's kind of why baseball is always going to be around, right? Like people are always very passionate about telling the story of really like our country's history in, in some ways through baseball. And I, I think that that stood out and was neat to hear from, from Sweeney because, you know, it, it's refreshing to hear kind of that, that perspective that, that it, People in those types of positions get it. Um, I think that was interesting to me. Um, See, stood out to you. Yeah, I think that self, how self-aware he was about the sport and himself, right? Talked about what, what did 10-year-old me have to do but watch baseball, right? And he's right, right? And that's why, you know, for somebody like me, okay, well, I don't know if I'm into baseball as much because there's other stuff going on. So I think Sweetie's a great ambassador for the sport when he left WFAN. I didn't know where he was going to end up, but he's in the right place for both himself, for MLB, and I think for baseball fans. So it's good. Um, the only thing I'm sorry we didn't get to, and I, and I, I wanted to bring it up, but it would have been pandering, is I, I wanted to see about swapping Mike Mussina stories with him, but we didn't go there. I wanted to see what it was like to to cover Mike Mussina and tell him that I got a hit off of Mike Mussina, but we'll save you, that for some other time. Wait, wait a second. You got a hit off of Mike Mussina? Okay, it was an infield bunt single in Little League, but yes. You never told me that. I guess this makes sense. I mean, you guys are relatively the same age. And... All, all-star game, all-star game, right? Like we're playing wow. a local all-star thing. And he's Mike Mucina, who we had beaten us in Pop Warner football as both a quarterback and a kicker and defensive back, right? Like he's the best kid in the county, right? And we're playing him in baseball. And we're not getting our asses kicked, but we're not hitting the ball. And I'm like, okay, I'm never, this is my last Little League game probably, right? I'm, I'm, screw the pride. I'm bunting, man. I'm getting on. So I bunted and got on base, man. I, I'll take the hit any way I can get it. So there you go. That's wow. my Mike Messina story. Is Steve that stared me down and I wilted and bunted. So there you go. Is that your crowning sports achievement, Steve? No, can't be, can it? 
Let me think about that till the next time. I don't okay. think it is. All right. All right. That's called a teaser, kids. Um, no, thank you, Sweeney, for joining us. It was a very good, energetic conversation. Um, I, I would sit and talk baseball with him for hours, uh, for mm-hmm. sure. All right. Um, that's the podcast for this week. Uh, a little shorter episode, but a uh, great conversation. Um, let's see. Thank you to Sweeney again. Uh, website called StuffSummerSays.com. On that website, there's a section called With Steve. Steve. Uh, let's see. We've got emails. Mine's Darian at StuffSummerSays.com. Steve's is Steve at StuffSummerSays.com. And we've got uh, a podcast, which you're listening to. Five stars, thumbs up, subscribe. And Lastly, Twitter handles minds at stuff summer says Steve's is at Steve Sampson. Good at we're out of here.